Genesis 29 is where we'll be uh, reading from today, looking at the life of Jacob. Before we do, though, I want to encourage everybody uh, to be part of the county fair if you'd like to come out there. It's just a good time to witness, share your faith. I, I've shared this story so many times because it was it, we're there to just minister and have a good time with people. And I remember we had some hats and different things up, and this kid comes up, and he goes, how you play this game? And I said, what's your name? And he goes, Bill. I said, you're right. You just won a hat. The puzzled look on his face was priceless. Well, I saw him leave and he walks over and he's talking to his friends. And one of them walks over to the booth again and says, I said, hi. And he goes, hi. He goes, I'm Fred. I said, hi, Fred. I'm Fred. Well, how are you, Fred? I'm Fred. I said, do you want a hat? He goes, yeah. And I gave him a hat. He thought that's how you played the game. You walk up and tell him your name and you want a hat. But anyway, it's good to just go out there and have a good time in the Lord. And, and we've had people get saved there. We've taken them around the back of the booth and prayed with them right there. But you know, there's a lot of hurting people right now. And a lot of people with a lot of questions, especially because of the days we're in. The Bible's very specific concerning the times that we are finding ourselves in. And the, and, and the world offers no solution to those things. But we do find what the Bible tells us is going to be like in the last days. And I believe right before the tribulation period begins... Jesus said we're going to be in the age of sorrows. And I think we are in that. We're seeing kind of crazy things. In fact, things are happening so much that people don't even report on it. I I suppose a lot of you maybe didn't hear about the storms that hit Iowa this past week. Wiped out half the soybeans and half the corn in the entire state. 130 mile an hour sustained winds. Not a hurricane. Sustained winds. Knocked over all their grain, tore up their buildings. Did all, we don't even hear about it because there's so many other things going on in the world. So again, we want to be very sensitive to people. And again, I, I just want to point out to all of you, you know, a lot of people are saying, how do I know when God's talking to me? And I've shared this so many times that we find in God's word, notice abnormalities. And they say, what is that? Remember Moses, backside of the wilderness, sees a bush burning. Now, if you've ever been out in the wilderness very long, I've seen burning bushes in the wilderness. Lightning hit, uh, I was going over the pass between, um, uh, out out of Ely, Nevada, going south on 318. You go through some mountains there, and I saw a burning bush there. And it was because lightning had just hit it. That happens. But Moses noticed something strange about the bush, that it wasn't consuming itself. It was just burning. When we see abnormalities in the Bible, look for God's hand. If you see somebody, as an example, if you're at the booth, just kind of hanging around the booth, they're maybe not saying a lot, they're just hanging around. That is something that's out of the ordinary. All the way through the Bible, you'll find things that are out of the ordinary is where God wants to minister. And again, we have to have our Father's eyes to be about our Father's business, right? And so when we see things, remember the woman at the well, Jesus walks up, give me a drink of water. Now that's something you don't see every day. Even she noticed it. She says, how is that you being a Jew ask me a Samaritan for water? See, abnormalities, I believe, friends, are things that point things out to us that are where God wants to work. And so again, we want to be sensitive to that and not just at the fair, but wherever we go. When you see somebody that for some reason just wants up to walk, you know, you might be in a hurry. You might be wanting to get home to your family. And this person walks up and for no reason at all, just wants to talk to you in the store. Go away. I mean, that's what we feel like. But really, that person has been brought to you by the Holy Spirit so you may minister to them. Again, we live in the, in the world of, in the invisible. 
And God's Bible, the Bible says his invisible attributes in the book of Romans is clearly seen. What does that mean? That means that God's uh, already doing the evangelism. He brings them to us, God's children, to share the truth with them. Remember the case with Jonah, and he goes to Nineveh, and his message was not, you know, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. His message to Nineveh was, 40 days and you're fried. And it shocked him. And the Bible says, beginning with the king on down, they all repented. God granted Nineveh, this wicked city, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, probably one of the most evil nations that have ever been on the planet, the way they treated people, God granted them another over a hundred years because of the preaching of Jonah, the biggest recorded revival in the Bible. And by the way, it was a Gentile city in the Old Testament. And God granted them uh, uh, forgiveness and I think it's important when you see abnormalities, be sensitive because God's doing something. And I think a lot of times, and I know in my own life, I've missed it because I'm usually in a hurry. I've got something I got to go do. And here's somebody that just wants to talk to you. Go away. No, 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 no. That's the Holy Spirit brought them to you. A lot of times they'll say, well, I don't know what to do with my life. And people you haven't heard from for a, a lot of years, they'll call you and they'll just be talking and you're going, yeah, yeah. And then do you want to go to church with me next Sunday? Well, sure. Yeah, I'll go. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's been working on them all along. Remember, Holy Spirit's alive and well on the planet Earth. And God wants to do great things in your life and in their life to prove to you that he's still the God of miracles, just like he was in the Old Testament, just like he was in the New Testament. God's alive and well doing miracles on the planet Earth. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that this would not just be ink on paper, but Lord, that your Holy Spirit would cause these words to come alive as they were when you had Moses record them for us. And so we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. We remember chapter 28 and all that uh, (laughs) Isaac um, had uh, these two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was a rugged man. His name meant Harry. And we remember he had no real regard for things of God. But Jacob did But his name meant heel catcher. He was a scoundrel. It meant somebody that would would take your goat when you weren't looking. Well, we remember Esau comes in. He's hungry. And uh, we remember, he said, give me some of that stew, Jacob, that you're cooking. And he says, well, I'll give you some if you sell me your birthright. What what good's my birthright if if I starve to death right now? Yeah, give me some. So he gave him his birthright sold it to him for a mess of pottage, the Bible tells us. Well, we remember that when it came time for the blessings to be handed out by Isaac, we remember that Isaac liked beef jerky. I I don't know what it was, but it says it was venison. It was tasty. It was savory. And he told Esau, go kill something and cook it up for me and I'll give you the birthright. Now, Jacob knew that the birthright was supposed to go to Jacob, not to Esau. But Jacob was going to do his own thing. He liked jerky, and I'm I'm a wheeler dealer here. Let's make a deal. And so he did. Well, as he goes out, his mom hears it. Says, Jacob, come here quickly. I'll cook you up some meat. And, and, and you go in and you, you tell your father that you're Esau and that you'll get the blessing. Yeah, but what if he touches me? He goes, she goes, here, wrap yourself in animal skin. By the way, to get an animal skin, you had to kill the animal. And, and we, we remember that in going back to the book of Genesis, when man and uh, when Adam and Eve uh, sinned, they sewed fig leaves together. Very scratchy. Big leaves, real scratchy. God gave them 
skins of animals to wear, which required the shedding of blood for their covering. Now it's interesting that the shedding of blood had to transpire for that animal skin to be wrapped on Jacob, the smooth boy. So when his father filled him and goes, oh yeah, you're hairy, you're, that's you. Now I don't know how somebody could feel an animal skin and think it was their son. So Esau had to be a really hairy dude. But he said, yeah, well, you cook food like, um, like Esau. You feel like Esau. His mom said, here, put some of his clothes on so you'll smell like you've been out in the, in the weeds. So he did. You, you smell like, like Esau too, but your voice is wrong. But, you know, we remember the story when Isaac heard that he had blessed Jacob instead of Esau. The Bible says, and the words in the Hebrew are, he shook violently. Why is that? I believe that he knew that the blessing was supposed to go to Jacob. He tried to give it to Esau, and I believe that quaking was because of fear, because God still had his way. But because of that, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. So his mom says, listen, you go stay with my brother Laban. Go back to there. Don't take a wife from around here like your brother did. You, you go and go back to my father's uh, 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 family and take a wife from there. Because otherwise Esau's going to try to kill you. And so he packs it up and he's headed And last week we talked about the ladder. He was dreaming. He saw the angels going up and down the ladder, which tells me there's a lot of angelic activity on this earth. We're not to worship angels, but we need to be aware of their presence. Even Satan brings this up to Jesus. When he said to him, he said, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. For it is written in your word, that the angels will bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. It's interesting that Satan knows that there are guardian angels for us. I think that's important to always realize. Now, we're never to pray to them. We're never to talk to them. But the Bible says that God puts his angels in charge over us. That's one of the great things. In fact, if you think about it in your life, I'll bet you there are times when you know you should have died. And you didn't. It was a divine miracle. I remember one day, uh, this was probably, I was probably 12 or 13 years old. And we were down at Twin Falls and we were going back to this fishing hole, me and my cousin. And I'm going along this edge and it's right where the canyon goes straight down. You know, it's weird when you're young, you do really kind of goofy things. Well, my cousin says, grab the weeds alongside of you, the bushes, in case your feet slip, you'll you'll hold yourself up. And I go, I'm not going to fall. Maybe I should. And so I was going from hand to hand. And sure enough, my feet slipped. And I remember hanging, looking down and hanging on the weeds. And he came back and he pulled me up. And I thought, I should have died that day. Those are just a few, and I I mean, friends, I believe every one of us can think of the near misses in the cars and and wrecks and, 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 and falling off ladders and all this stuff where we should have died. God keeps his hand on us, and I think that's really important to recognize. So we find now that Jacob is on his way to his uncle's place, and this is where the story begins in chapter 29, verse 1. So Jacob went on to his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep laying by it, for out of that well they were watered, they would water the flocks, a large stone at the well's mouth. Evidently, this was more of a spring than it was a well, like we think a deep hole in the ground. This was probably coming out of the side of a mountain. And they would roll a stone to let the water dam up behind it. Then they'd roll a stone away and whoosh, here would come the water. Now the flocks would be gathered there. And they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and then put the stone back in its place in the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, my brethren, 
where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. This is the land of, of, um, of uh, uh, his uncle. And then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. Well, this is getting better for, for, of course, Jacob, because he was getting close to home plate. And so he said to them, is he well? And they said to him, he is well. And look, his daughter, Rachel, is coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it is still high day, and it is not time for the cattle to be watered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks have gathered together. And they have, and, and, and they have rolled a stone from the well's mouth, then we will water the sheep. So it's interesting here that he is telling them, oh, why don't you do your job? And they said, well, we can't because all the critters aren't here when we roll the stone back. And so we're just going to stand around and we're going to wait till the flocks get here with the cattle. We're going to roll the stone back and then do and, and let the water uh, water the animals. Now notice this. And while he was yet speaking, Rachel came with her father's sheep and she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone away from the well's mouth. Now, by the way, right here we find something interesting. Before it says, we're waiting for the men to come and roll the stone away. Now, I don't know whether he was trying to do the I'm Arnold thing, you know. You ever see those guys, they lift weights on TV and they're doing their, you know. And I remember one time there was a guy that, was interviewing one of those muscle builders and, you know, he was flexing. You've got to really use your imagination with me. But he was flexing and, you know, the, it looked like mice running up and, up and down under his skin, you know. You know, did a jumping jack and popped his head, you know, big old muscles. And, and, and he goes, what do you do with all that strength? And the guy goes, I do this. No, but what do you do with all that strength? Hmm this. It's all for show. Well, here is an interesting place. It said, we're waiting for the men to come to roll the stone away. And he sees Rachel and he just goes over, watch this. And by himself, he rolls the stone away. I kind of, you know, how guys impress girls is an interesting thing. In fact, this is one of the things in the book of Song of Solomon. It says, the way is, the, the way a man is with a maid. I, I, excuse me, Proverbs. It says, the way a man is with a maid. H- how you impress people. Girls, you know, they do their thing. Guys do their thing. I remember out on Whittier Boulevard when I was a kid, we'd cruise. And one of the tricks was, is you'd leave your window up on your car, on the driver's side, about that far. And that way, when you rested your arm on the window, your muscles looked real big because they were being pushed out by the glass. Things guys do. I mean, just weird stuff. Well, here's the thing. He's demonstrating his strength to this girl that he sees. Now, it appears that it was probably love at first sight because this is highly irregular in this culture to do what you're about to read. And look what it says. He saw the daughter of Laban, and it says that he went and rolled a stone away from the mouth and watered the flocks of Laban, his mother's brother. Now here, verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Friends, this has got to be one of the weirdest first dates I've ever read about. But it says that he kissed her. This is something that was just not done, especially the first time you meet somebody. And I believe something in his heart bonded to hers. Now, is it possible for love at first sight? Well, evidently, I think this is a good illustration for it. I think it's really scary to do that because our emotions can mislead us. But here we find that he kissed Rachel lifted up his voice and wept. 
And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran and came embraced him and kissed him. Everybody's kissing everybody here, but this was a different kind of kiss. This is the way you would greet somebody in those days. You'd kiss them on the cheek. The way that, that Jacob kissed Rachel was, was evidently a lot different. Now notice it says, she ran and told her father. Um, this is not the first time it was ran and told her father. We remember when the unnamed servant, when Abraham said, don't take a son for a, a wife for my son Isaac. And he grabs his servant under his thigh and said, you swear to me, you're not going to get a Canaanite woman for my son. Go back to my homeland. And the unnamed servant, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, as that Holy Spirit has gone out into the world looking for a bride for our Father, Son, Jesus Christ, which is us, goes out and the unnamed servant prays. And he said, the one that says, can I water your camels? is the one. Again, going back to what we mentioned earlier, things out of the ordinary are how oftentimes you find God's will. And so we remember that as he's sitting there praying, the words were not even out of his mouth. A girl comes up when he gets back to to Abraham's uh, homeland. She says, can I water your camels? And he goes, who are you? And she told him who he was. And, and, and so he put on her. She, she watered the camels and he put bracelets on her and necklaces on her and nose rings. I mean, he gave her, we, we did the math based on the current value of gold. It was about 10,000 plus dollars worth of bracelets and gold earrings, all that stuff. He just downloaded on her. And so she goes back to her father's house and said, hey, I met this servant, wants me to, he wants to come over here and look at all the gold he's given me. The Bible says Laban booked out to meet this guy. Laban was a greedy guy. We're going to see that fox doesn't uh, lose its flavor as it goes along, doesn't lose its taste because he's still greedy. We're going to see that. So it came to pass when Laban heard the report that he ran to meet him, embraced him, kissed him, and brought him into his house, and he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and of my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should, you, what should your wages be? Now, this is interesting that Laban let Jacob set his own wage. Um, not, not something normally happens. He let him set his own wage. Now, you got to remember when Jacob ran for his life from his brother Esau. He didn't bring anything with him. He didn't say, okay, bring the uh, Mayflower moving vans with me here. We're all going to head on back to, you know, homeland. The Bible basically tells us he didn't leave his father's house with anything. And by the way, for those who have been following along, that was the last time he would ever see his mother alive. Because as she sent him away. So the thing is, there was a price to pay for all this. But what was really strange is he basically didn't have anything. Now, so what he says, what should your wages be? And now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the younger was Rachel. And Leah had and had delicate or weak eyes. In the Hebrew, it says weak eyes. Now, some people say she had blue eyes, and that was not as attractive as brown eyes were in that culture. But we don't know. She could have just been really nearsighted or farsighted. We don't know exactly what this means, but she wasn't as pretty as Rachel was. And so it says here, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, 
And he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than somebody else. Stay with me. The deal was made. A couple of things here that we'll find. He said, um, I'll serve you seven years. Seven in the Bible is the number of completion. You have seven days in a week. You start the eighth day, that's a new week. You have seven notes in a scale. You start the next thing, it's an upper or lower scale. Uh, You have seven years of tribulation on the earth. You find um, uh, 70 weeks were determined upon the nation of Israel. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. And so seven years was a number of completion for him to get his wife. And so we find here that he said, I'll serve you seven years. Now, they, he didn't have anything. Normally, when you were going to marry a girl in those days, in that culture, you would give the father a dowry. And basically what a dowry was, was alimony in advance, in case for some reason he flaked out, didn't like her, whatever, he could leave, and the dowry then would be passed on to the daughter to sustain her. He didn't have anything. He left with nothing. And so what he offered then was seven years of labor to gain the younger daughter. And Laban said, okay, it's a deal. So Jacob, verse 20, served seven years for Rachel, and it seemed but a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. You know, that's an interesting verse in the Bible. You know, I know for many of us, we've fallen in love with Jesus. We've given him our heart and our life. And we go through this life, and I know some days we have a lot of trials and a lot of problems. Sometimes they can be financial. Sometimes they can be marital issues. Sometimes they can be family issues with your kids or your kids to your parents. There's a lot of things that can go on. But you know, what sustains us, what sustains us through the years is the love that God has for us and the love that God, that we should have for God. It seems but a short time, but you know, friends, once again, it won't be long, but we'll all be with Jesus. You know, it's really funny about time. When you're five years old, to stand in the corner because you were bad for five minutes seems like 200 years. But now a month goes by so fast you can't believe you have to make your car payment again or your house payment again. Or is it time for me to mow the lawn again? I just mowed it. No, that was a couple of days. They say as you get over 50, whenever you go back in time saying, well, yeah, we painted that house a couple of years ago. They said minimally double it because as you get older, you lose track of time. And that's probably true because it's in the, re- in the relationship of the amount of time you've lived on this earth. Five minutes isn't much time anymore, is it? But when you've only been on the earth a couple of years, five minutes is a long time. You ever been over and gone over and see your friends and you go, well, how's your little kids? And they look at you and go, little? And they come out of the house, they're six foot tall. Hi, dad. And you're looking at them going, who's that? Well, that's my little kids. And you realize time moves on. And I think there are things in time that changes time for us. And I believe this is one of those places in the Bible where it talks about it. They they call it a, a chronos in kairos, a moment in time. Now, you'll notice this in your own life. You may not remember any vacations that you took in 10, 15 years ago, except the one where it rained all night, there was a hole in the tent, and your sleeping bag got drenched. Isn't it weird you can remember that? You can't remember what you did in the day. You can't remember if you rode on a boat. You can't remember what you had for dinner. But you remember the rain coming through the roof. That's a Kronos and Kairos. Some of you will remember what you were doing when you heard that the planes hit the Twin Towers. You remember right where you were at. You don't remember anything else that week, but you remember that. Why is that? Because that was something that happened in time that made all the other time different. Well, this is one of the things that happen in us in our relationship with God. That when we can value the time that we spend with the Lord, 
That will give us that moment in time that will sustain us through the other times when things are tough. In other words, think about all the scrapes and the near misses that God got you through. And you might be going through something right now saying, God, where are you? I, 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 I trusted you and now I'm in this mess. And God says, haven't I always got you through every other problem that you've ever had in your life? Well, yeah, but will you get me through this one? Yes, he will. You know, it's funny, oftentimes, I've shared this so many times, but we trust God with our eternity in heaven forever someday. But I don't know if I can trust you today or not, God. That's, that's kind of a big thing, you know. Why? Because it's the time we live in. Again, when Jacob had fallen in love with Rachel, the seven years seemed like a little bit of time because the love offset the years. Again, as you fall in love with the Lord, that causes the time to change. And that's what you need. Because again, in time, oftentimes we forget God's faithfulness to us as he's brought us through so many things. Well, God, are you going to get me through this one? Yes, he will. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Verse 20. Seemed but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. So this evidently was at night. Women in those days, before they were married, and as they were coming up to it, are heavily veiled. And by the way, there's a lot of things that we have in our weddings today that are a direct result of Old Testament weddings. You know, I always think it's funny because I have done a lot of weddings in my life, being a pastor for over 40 years. And, and uh, you know, oftentimes you'll see in the wedding this hoop thing over where they're reciting their vows. How many people have seen the hoop? Okay, that's called a hoopah in the Hebrew. People go, oh, well, lovely, lovely decoration. No, no, what that is, that was a symbol that if you as a bride were married under the hoopah, that your husband could never forcibly take you into the wilderness. In other words, you had the convenience of, as an example, living in Jerusalem and, and then to leave the comforts of a city and go live on the backside of the wilderness, being married under the hoopah was a covenant saying that you would always protect her and provide her with the finer things in life. It is interesting. If you read in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you look, go back, you'll find in the Old Testament descriptions of heaven. What do you find in heaven? You find a green rainbow. Isn't that weird? A hoopah. Isn't it interesting if that the bow that God put in the sky for Noah was a symbolic of a hoopah. And what was it over? A promise that God would never destroy the earth again with a flood. God in heaven, that hoopah, as we meet our bridegroom someday in heaven, we have this wonderful promise that we will always be with him. And this is what Paul says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. See, this is one of the great things that we have as we look at the symbolism. Well, another one of the symbolisms in the Old Testament is the bride was veiled until he said, I do. And so you'll remember that oftentimes the bride will walk down and she'll have a, 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 a doily over her face. And they'll recite their vows. And then the minister will say, you may kiss the bride. So what he does is he pulls back the veil and then he kisses his bride. You see, that is part of the excitement, part of all the, the things of, of being veiled, and now she's yours. Now, what is surprising here is that it was the switcheroo. 
Instead of getting Rachel for his seven years of labor, he got the ugly duckling sister Leah. (laughs) Now notice it says, came to pass, verse 23 again, in the evening. So it was dark. They didn't have uh, candles and LED bulbs and all the things that we have now for light. She was heavily veiled. Laban said, give this maid, Zippah, to his daughter Leah as maid. So it came to pass in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Ah! You know, put yourself in his place for a minute. You go get married, in the morning you wake up and you go, what have I done? Well, kind of that's what happened. What have I done? And he said to Laban, I bet you that was the first thing, I bet you that was the first cell call of the day. What have you done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Then why have you deceived me? Wait a minute, right here. Let's reverse the tape a bit. Who deceived first? Jacob deceived his father in the birthright. Remember? Put on the, put on the, 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 the skin of the animal. Put on his brother's clothes so he'd smell like the field. Cooked what his father liked. He's the one that deceived his father. Important to remember. What you sow, the Bible says, what? You'll reap. Here you find this very thing that he did concerning his father coming back on him now. What is this? You have deceived me. Well, Jacob, now you know how your father felt. Notice Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Well, it would have been nice that you told me that. But he didn't. So, fulfill our week, and we will give you this one for the service which you will serve me another seven years. Wow. So he said, okay, look, go on your honeymoon with Leah, though you probably don't want to. Go on your honeymoon with Leah, and when the week is up, then I'll give you Rachel And you'll serve me another seven years. Now, this is probably, as far as I know, the first place in the Bible where credit is mentioned. He got her on a time payment, okay? He says, fulfill her week, and you will, and uh, give me service, and you will serve me another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as his wife also. Now, again, polygamy was not prohibited in this culture. It was also evident at the time of Jesus and also with Paul, where he said a minister shall be the husband of one wife. Uh, He couldn't be a polygamist if he was going to be a pastor. Uh, And we find that... that, um, uh, it, was, it was a common practice in those days. Some people believe it was because of the wars. Many men were killed. The ratio of men to women were, was much lower concerning the men. And so it allowed a, a man to have more than one wife, to have kids and all those kinds of things. But it doesn't come without a price. You know, I know there's TV programs that sometimes glamorize this kind of thing. But it comes with a price. And you remember that Moses married Hagar, the Egyptian, the handmaiden of Sarah, and had a son named Ishmael with her. As the two children, as she finally, Sarah, gave birth to Isaac, we remember that they were always fighting. And Sarah came to Abraham and said, look, this ain't working get rid of her. The Bible says it extremely displeased Abraham. Why was that? Because he had married her. Isaac, yes, was his son with Sarah, but Ishmael was also his son 
through the bondwoman Hagar. Now, we, as we go into the New Testament, we find it as a picture type of the old, the bond, and the, that of the free. And, and we won't get into that right now. But the point was this. There was chiding in the home because of it. You're going to find it here as well. Notice it says, And Laban gave the maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. Then Jacob went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Now notice verse 31, God sees it all. Now friends, I I just want you to think about this for a minute. No one may know what's going on, but God sees it all. God, the Bible says, is the searcher of hearts and revealer of secrets. And here the Bible says, So when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. God saw it, and God intervened. Now, as we read this, and I'm going to fast forward here just a little bit because a lot of people miss this when they study the Bible. He loved Rachel, but he did not love Leah. But you know, at the end of his life, at the end of, at the end of Jacob's life, do you know who he was buried with? He could have been buried with Rachel, but he chose to be buried with Leah. It is interesting how time changes perspective. And he was buried with Leah. We'll get into that when we get up a little bit farther here. And it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived, bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction, so now therefore my husband will love me. What a tragedy it is of what's called conditional love. I love you if. And by the way, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I will venture to say that's probably the only love you've ever known. I love you if. Madison Avenue, Hollywood plays on this. You'll be loved if you wash your teeth with new shiny bright. Unconditional love is a direct result of your Father in Heaven. He loves you Period. It's good news. Loves you, period. Not that I performed a certain way that would cause God to love me. Now, why you say, Mike, is that important? Because when you get that principle, it will set you free from the law. Today, there are people that call themselves Christians that are trying to get you to go back under the law again. Well, God will really love you if you worship on Saturday. God will really love you if you don't eat that strip of bacon. God will really love you. And they have all these stipulations. That, friends, is conditional love. You need, I need unconditional love. And by the way, when you learn unconditional love from the God who gave love, you then can give unconditional love. You can't give what you don't have. If you have a million dollars, you can give somebody a million dollars. If you ain't got a nickel, you can't give somebody a nickel. If you have conditional love, that's all you can give. But if you have unconditional love, which sets us free from the law. This is why Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, he said, Oh, foolish Galatians, chapter 3. He said, Who has bewitched you? You begun in the spirit. Are you going to be made perfect in the flesh? Because a group of Judaizers were going in saying, well, yeah, now that you're saved, that's good. But, you know, to really be saved, you got to worship on Saturday. you got to lay off the pork, friends. you got to, and they had all the Old Testament regulations again. Conditional love. For God so loved the world, period. It wasn't based on condition. And when we understand that, that's our defense against the Judaizers. That's our defense against the cults. That's our defense against heresy. Because I am loved, you are loved unconditionally by a God in heaven who was appeased through the blood of his son on the cross. It's paid it all. Jesus said it best. It is finished. Telestai. Last stroke on the on the painting when he says it's finished. God did it all. 
When somebody says, well, you've got to worship on Saturday, you, you can't eat pork. I go, why? I like BLTs. Well, because you'll be honest to God. I was talking to somebody that believes you have to worship on Saturday. And I said, what does it benefit me? to worship on Saturday over Sunday, or if you're a pedimer, pedim, pedim, yeah, one of those people that puts you back together again when you crash. Paramedic. Or if you're a fireman, or a policeman, or whatever, your day of rest may be Tuesday, or Thursday, or some other day. But I said, what advantage does it do for me to worship on Saturday over Sunday? And they said to me, and honest to God, this is what they told me, you'll be more saved. Wrong answer. You are either saved or you're not. When you know the truth, it'll set you free. When you're free, you're free indeed. This is why I believe knowing the Bible is your best defense against the cults. Your best defense against heresies that circulate today. You've got to know God's word. So, conditional love. That's all Rachel knew. Or excuse me, Leah knew was conditional love. Do you, know, do you not think that Laban knew that? He goes, what am I going to do with my ugly duckling daughter? I know. (laughs) We'll switcheroo. Yeah, he's going to be mad in the morning, but that's all right, because at least she doesn't have to live with me forever. Poor Leah. Do you know what? God sees the brokenhearted, friends. God sees the brokenhearted. A broken reed he will not break. A bent reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. What does that mean? If there's any life at all there, God will splint it. God will (laughs) blow on the fire to make it burst into flames again. Here's why. Look at what it says. Leah conceived and bore a son, named his name Reuben, which means literally, see a son. That's what she named him. Look, look, Jacob, see a son. You have a son now. Notice it says, because the Lord has surely looked on my affliction, now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved again, he has therefore given me this son also and named his name Simeon, which means in the hearing of or hearing. She conceived again, bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will become attracted to me because I have borne him three sons, named his son, named this one Levi, which means attached. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and she stopped bearing. If you look at those three names, notice what it says. See a son, hearing, attached, and his name means praise. See a son, attached, see a son, hearing, attached, praise. It is interesting that Jesus Christ did not come through Rachel, the loved one, but came through Leah, the unloved one. God sees it all. God makes up the difference of what you've been dealt with in this life. Friends, we do know that some people have been born into this life with advantage, some not. But the God who sees it all knows how to make those things right because you belong to him. In fact, if you do. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you need to be. Because that's what makes the difference. Who's your daddy? Who's the supplier of what you need in your life? Who's the one that will deliver you from the addictions and all the things that go on in your life? Who will make time stand still for you to bless you? You see, that's what God does. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray. And if you're tired of the last 10 years that you've had, 
And you go, I don't want that anymore in my life. God, I need a new start. I need a brand new, new day. God says his promises are new every morning. We're going to pray. And the Bible says if we'll repent, turn away from the foolish, silly, stupid ways that we have tried to define our life and say, okay, God, from this day forward, I'm going to live for you. The Bible says God will do that. So if you've never prayed, you've never asked Christ in your life, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life. Again, all the appeasement that the Father required was done in Jesus Christ. Not by me now eating pork, not by me now worshiping on Saturday, not by me doing anything else, unconditional love. When she saw that she was not loved. Maybe you're that way today. Maybe you don't think you're loved. I got good news for you. There's a son that the father sent to heal you and to restore you. And we're going to pray. If you've never asked him into your life today, let's do that. And God will change your life. He'll take you at your word and he'll change you. So if you need to pray, let's pray right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I'm sorry of the foolish way that I have lived. And so from this day forward, I will live for you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. And so now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to love the lost. Empower me to be bold for you. And most of all, God, give me that love for you every day that changes time. And thank you for eternity that I have to look forward to with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, welcome to God's family. Begins with a prayer. God shows you your whole life is goodness. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. If you have a Bible, you need to start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John's a good place to start. John chapter 3. And just read. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. How do you know the real from the fake? Well, the more you listen to God, the more you'll know the devil's voice when he says, do something contrary to his heart. You see, acquainting yourself with God's voice, that's what makes the difference. The second thing the Bible says is to be baptized, and we're putting together a baptism. If we have to get a, a trough out here in the back, a, a watering trough for cows, that's what we're going to do. But we're going to do that because we keep trying different places. Ah, now we're still shut down. We're doing that. So anyway. And the third is be in fellowship with other brothers and sisters. They're going to encourage you in your relationship with God. Do you not think that we all don't have hard days, days we're down? Thank God for the brethren, the fellowship of the saints that encourages us. Letting God be God is so important in your life. Letting him be first in all things.